Hello, I'm Mark Chapman and I'll be back with you on the Athletic Football Podcast from Monday. And this season, I'll be with you four times a week, bringing you the best insight into the best stories from across football. And if that isn't enough for you, Dan Bardell and George Ellick will bring you the weekend preview show every Friday as well. And here they are right now with their big season preview. Listen to that, enjoy it. I'll see you Monday. The Athletic. Premier League is back and so is the weekend preview show on the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm Dan Bardell. And I'm George Ellett. And we'll be here every Friday across the season setting you up for the Premier League weekend with plenty of insight from the Athletic's brilliant writers along the way. Schmalcancello, midway inside the Villa half, plays it in the gap to Jesus. It reaches De Bruyne, De Bruyne into the penalty area. Andrew Robertson for Nunez. What a brilliant finish. And that has finished off Manchester City. He's been a hit since he came from the bench. Shaka, Gabriel's far post. Shaka looking towards the near post. And helped in by Gabriel Jesus. But it's only taken him 13 minutes. But it's his first goal at Emirates Stadium in an Arsenal shirt. Joining us today is a man who has been the subject of a big summer transfer move himself. Formerly the Athletics Wolves correspondent, but now he's got a move to the bright lights of London. It's Tim Spears. Tim, how are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Good to see you, gents. Exciting transfer window for you, Tim. We'll get to some of the big games this weekend a little bit later, but as it's the eve of the season, we're going to start by looking at the bigger picture. And let's start with the title race, George. Is it a two-horse race again? Is it Man City's to lose? Well, it's definitely Man City's to lose. Is it a two-horse race before a ball has been kicked? Probably not, but I think it's it's probably as close as it can be uh, to that, that these two look so far clear of what the rest of the Premier League have to offer. And, and I don't think, even though there's there's clear positivity around most of the other clubs in terms of where they've been over the last couple of seasons, I think to, to bridge that gap, um, that quality gap between the two will be very difficult for any of them as we'll come on to. In terms of the top two themselves, it feels to me like City was certainly deserving of their title last season, even though uh, with a half an hour to go on, on final day, it looked like it might slip through their grasp. Um, I think probably getting knocked out of the Champions League when they, when they did do uh, help them uh, refocus and ensure they got over the line in the Premier League um, but it, it looks to me like on the eve of the season even though you know Erling Haaland is probably one of the most exciting transfers we've seen into the Premier League for a long time I would almost say that Liverpool feel to me in a more secure position in terms of their actual squad I think when you look at Manchester City and the players that have left you know, there's no denying that Raheem Sterling, Gabriel Jesus, um, Alexander Zinchenko and Fernandinho aren't necessarily the most important players for Manchester City that still equates to, to 6,000 Premier League minutes last season. So, you know, 65, 66. Um, Dressing room characters minutes, as well. That they've lost and, and senior pros and crucially players that Pep Guardiola trusted to an extent and, and who knew the way that he wanted to play and, and brought some much needed depth. Bernardo Silva's clearly being linked to a move to Barcelona as well, who would be the most significant probably in terms of, of what he's offered and the amount of minutes played. So there's a concern for me about the depth at City, especially with the need for, for key signings to bed in quickly, which hasn't necessarily happened. Unlike Liverpool, where I know that Sadio Mane is, is going to be a huge loss and we'll come on to that, but the succession planning feels to me to be a bit more aligned. You know, I think Fabio Carvalho is a, a, a 
brilliant signing who may not we may not see too much of this season but in terms of the you know the, the outside of the protagonists having Jones having Elliot having Carvalho as those to step in and, and Jota and Firmino probably playing second fiddle to the new front three as well I just wonder if Liverpool, Liverpool are going to the season with more in terms of, of the depth of their squad and that could mean there's a bit of a shift so I, I'm not sitting here saying Liverpool are, are favourites to win it by any stretch but I do think that the perception of, of City kicking on by cutting Deadwood and bringing in Haaland isn't necessarily how I'm viewing it. Community Shield maybe influenced you a little bit as well. No, Tim, pre-season Tim. doesn't matter, Dan. Uh, we know that. Well, Irrelevant. Tim, who, who has had the better summer, in your opinion? I think anyone who who brings in Erling Haaland has, has, has probably won the transfer window. Especially for such a low fee. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the fact that Liverpool lost managers shouldn't be underestimated and Darwin Nunes will score goals, but he's coming from what is a much weaker league than the Premier League, which I think does get overlooked sometimes. But I can definitely see it being a two-horse race. I just think both squads have sort of issues and variables going into the season, but they start at such a higher level than everybody else. And you can see certain players stepping up into into the breach at City, uh, like Grealish. Julian Alvarez looks pretty good in pre-season. I think Foden's going to have an absolutely massive season, I think. But they are, they are slightly unbalanced. I mean, they're, they're going to the season with only sort of two natural fullbacks which is definitely an issue but one you'd expect them to resolve in the next few weeks I think a really important thing for Liverpool is that Mane's Senegal beat Salah's Egypt to qualify for the World Cup I think if if Salah had a World Cup in the middle of this we know we saw him drop off after the African Cup of Nations last season but he he's their main player I expect him to score more goals than anyone else in the league the fact that he has not a World Cup in the middle of it and the World Cup makes this like I, I, th- I think I think a lot of people are predicting the same things to happen in the Premier League this season and, and, and we may repeat those predictions today but the World Cup makes this for me one of the most interesting seasons in recent years because there's just so much unpredictability going to come out of those few weeks in Qatar which makes makes all this, a lot of the second half of the season almost impossible to predict to be honest um, but yeah I, th- I think from Liverpool's point of view um, James Pearce made a really good point this week that for such an incredible squad and an incredible era at Anfield and an incredible manager, they've still only won one Premier League and one Champions League, which just isn't enough for, for, for what they've got and what they've done. So I think there'll be a real inner determination to put to put that right this season, especially having come so close to both those trophies last year. Yeah, and George, you touched on it, Sadio Mane. Huge, huge loss. Really, the second half of the season, Mane kind of took over from Salah as being the main goal scorer at Liverpool. Just how much of a loss is he overall? Because they've replaced him with a very different type of player. He's definitely a big loss, I think. Because Salah has been so consistently good over the last few seasons, I think people have been a bit complacent as to how good Sadio Mane was and how important he was to Liverpool as well. I mean, it's interesting you say that he took on the mantle. I mean, he did, but the arrival of of, of Luis Diaz meant that he had to because Diaz then played on the left where we, we were used to seeing Mane play and Mane kind of moved into the central striking role and did very well. But I, I'm not necessarily convinced that's his best position or where he's best used either. And in that sense, I think bringing Diaz in as being... You know, he, he is younger, he's got more years and his, and his ceiling playing off the left is, is so high. Going and getting uh, Nunez and, and, you know, they now have strength and, strength and depth uh, in terms of, of both Firmino and, and Jota there as well. It feels like they've got more options than usual, whereas for, for three or four seasons, as good as they were, we knew it was going to be uh, Firmino through the middle and uh, and Mane and, and Salary the side. That's not the case anymore. So I do think he's a loss and, and certainly his goals are going to be hard to replace. A lot of Liverpool fans at the turn of the year, um, were saying that they, they wanted to see the back of him. And I'm not sure that's entirely fair, but the, the players they brought in have been successful. And, and what sets Liverpool apart from me than City in terms of their recruitment is just 
how crazily quickly their players seemed to settle in there, whether it was Jota coming in and making an immediate impact, whether it was Diaz doing the same last season. Um, City's players seem to take at least a season to be able to, to get up to speed, whereas players who haven't necessarily shown that level of form before being taken on by, by Liverpool seem to raise their game immediately. And um, I'm excited. I'm not suggesting by any stretch that long-term um, Nunes is a better signing than Haaland, but it wouldn't surprise me if, at least at the start of the season, he takes to life in the Premier League a bit quicker than Haaland, who may have to, either he'll have to adapt or City will have to adapt to, to, to play to his strengths. Yeah, talking of like hitting the ground running, how the Liverpool players come in so quickly, Tim, and do seem to acclimatise to what Liverpool do. You know, Luis Diaz last season, literally as George says, it was like he'd been there his whole career. He, he just fitted in straight away. The fact that he's done that and he's now coming into his first full season. Yeah, Mane's gone, but Luis Diaz is probably ready to take over that role full-time. Yeah, you'd probably expect him to kick on again. And again, he's he's another player who doesn't have a World Cup in, in the middle of the season, which again will be pretty important. Uh, yeah. You, you, you can say that for most clubs, you know, Haaland's obviously not going either for City, but... I think the fact that, that Luis Diaz and, and Salah aren't going will definitely be in Liverpool's favour. Um, I mean, there are a couple of issues with the forward line in that, you know, Firmino's 30 now. How much of an influence can, can he really still have in that squad? Jota starts the season injured. Looks like he's going to be out for a few weeks. So, that so you know, if Darwin Nunes doesn't hit the ground running, um, then you are just relying on, 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 on Salah and Diaz and there maybe is a little bit of weakness there. And there are question marks over the midfield, although Klopp is, is adamant that there is absolutely no doubt in his mind um, that they don't need to sign a midfielder and there are absolutely no issues there, which I guess you'd expect him to say. But but uh, there are certainly, you know, fitness and injury issues there. But overall, you know, we're, we're trying to pinpoint weaknesses here in Liverpool and Man City squads, but but just look how good they were last season. You, you'd expect the same again. You really would. Yeah, I, I think in, in terms of the midfield as well, I think this is going to be a big season for Harvey Elliott, who I, I think... Klopp does see as playing on the right-hand side of the midfield three rather than in an advanced role. I think the arrival of Carvalho as well, who will be, given the way that Liverpool play, you know, at Fulham he played as a 10. They don't play with a 10. I can't see him playing as a false nine in between the two uh, wide players. So I, th- I think he will be Salah's understudy effectively probably coming on for minutes later on in the game and the fact that Carvalho has been brought in I think just shows that Elliot is being seen as being um, a, a playmaker on the right hand side of the midfield in front of, of Fabinho and I think for, for Elliot and for, for Jones this is a huge season you know for, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Curtis Jones I think he's shown in flashes how good he can be uh, I think he's going to get a lot of minutes this season and for Elliot off the back of his injury where he doesn't seem to you know, he still seems to be the same player after that serious injury, which is fantastic news for Liverpool fans and for Elliot. This has got to be the season where he begins to, to get regular starts playing in, in that midfield three. And he's, you know, he's so incredibly talented, both in terms of his passing ability and his ball carrying ability as well. So, um, I, yeah, maybe if those two players do step up, then the midfield options will look more impressive in a, in a few weeks. And I, I, from Klopp's point of view, um, not going out and signing someone who would who would take their minutes, I think has to be a smart um, a smart idea. Yeah, give him credit for that as well. Jurgen Klopp. Alexander Arnold and Harvey Elliott had quite a good link up, I thought, at the start of last season. So it'd be intriguing to see whether that happens again. Now, football often works in cycles and patterns, and Liverpool and Man City have probably been at the, at the front of this in the, in the last few seasons. So they were both operating really with false nines for the, for the last few years, Manchester City and Liverpool team. They're now playing with these really different types of strikers. And I, and I guess that's what's exciting going into this season is that we're seeing the two best teams who've been the best by an absolute country mile kind of reinvent the way they do things so seeing them playing with two proper number nines that is going to be interesting at the start of the season yeah you're right and that's exactly the kind of you know tactical adaptation you'd expect from from managers like Guardiola and Klopp and I think how they adapt to Haaland and Nunes and how and how the players adapt to the clubs is is 
probably going to define, you know, certainly the first half of the season. Um, I mean, Grealish was a, a £100 million signing last summer and, and didn't exactly hit the ground running and, and found himself out of the team. Does Guardiola do the same if, if Haaland doesn't hit the ground running? You know, does, 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 is he dropped? You know, you, you wouldn't put past Guardiola doing that. And it is, it is going to be a massive change from, from, from how they play. And you, know, you take someone like Raheem Sterling out of that squad as well, very influential in the way that City played, getting to the byline and cutting the ball back for, for, for so many years. So, yeah. That that adaptation is 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 going to be key in um, in how they do certainly the first half of the season. Is it a two horse race? Are we, are we talking literally these two teams? I actually think the gap will be closer this year between the chasing pack and the, and the top two. I think those two, Manchester City and Liverpool, are obviously the standout teams. But I look at I look at Spurs and look at Arsenal and the way they've done business so far in the summer. I don't envisage the gap being as large, but I realise I could look very stupid come May saying that now. <laughs> I, well, I think, as Tim said, the World Cup certainly. Gives a, a could provide a level of, of randomness that we, we're not normally used to seeing. We have absolutely no idea what impact it will have having a tournament in in Qatar <laughs> halfway through the season, and it's going to be random which players are knocked out in the group stages and, and get to go home early, and which clubs benefited by that. Which you know, we mentioned Salah here, who I think um, you know it's a great point that he's going to have a rest in the middle of the season whilst everyone else is, is going out um, and, and playing football in a, in a really competitive World Cup. So I think it, in early August making sweeping statements about who can do this and who will do this um, is only one way to look foolish you know we only have to go back to this time last year Dan we were sitting here doing the first ever one of these podcasts and, and Chelsea were second favourites to win the league uh, and we're seeing as, as the closest I, thing to, to Manchester City I'm, I'm Adam first favourite there you go you know and that and that just goes to show how quickly things can change in football and also the, the fallibility of of buying too much into what is a very small sample size at the end of a season you know, a lot of Spurs fans um, anticipate that they are going to be as strong as they were at the back end of last season. I'm fairly positive on their chances as well. But then you've also got Arsenal fans who look at their pre-season and think, wow, you look at our recruitment. It's it's so much narrative driven rather than actual evidence based on what we're going to see this season at this stage. So I think those two teams will finish in the top two. But anyone saying right now, it will be those two. No one can get near them. They might be right at the end of the season, but it's 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 too early to say, especially because of the, the quirks of the World Cup. The other thing to say about the World Cup, I mean, it's not just a tournament put in the middle of a season. It's, it's potentially the, the pinnacle of a player's entire career, you know, coming up in a few weeks or months. So you're going to have a situation where players are going to be unhappy at being on the bench in the opening weeks of a season. You know, I'm reading this morning about Mr. Wolves, Connor Cody, potentially leaving the club because he doesn't want to harm his World Cup chances, which is sort of unthinkable, really. But the World Cup throws in that that huge curveball. You know, looking towards the end of October, early November, players aren't going to be wanting to get injured. You know, are they going to be flying into tackles? Are they going to be playing at 80%? And then the tournament itself obviously throws up form, fatigue, injury, mental come downs, you know, um, from losing finalists, losing semi-finalists. You know, I think we saw that with England players after after the Euros at the start of last season. Quite a few start the season really slowly. So inevitably when England don't win the tournament, that's going to happen no, again. No, let's, let's not have that um, here. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, do, I do think it's absolutely farcical that this, that this is happening. But it, it, it will definitely make for a more interesting and unpredictable domestic season, in my opinion. Yeah, we saw it with Salah as well, didn't we, in the, in the African Cup of Nations, losing the final. He did feel like he was a bit of a different player when he came back from that. Right then, two away trips for these two. Liverpool are at Fulham and City are travelling to West Ham. Do we expect them both to start with a win? 
Yeah, I, th- I think so. Um, I think for, for Liverpool like? going... Do you think with City? I think no, I don't think that's guaranteed. West, that's a tough game, West Ham away first game. It's 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 definitely a tough game. Um, I think Skamaka is a, is a very good signing for West Ham and therefore playing West Ham before, um, you know, their £50 million star striker is probably going to be up to speed to be able to play. It's got to be quite a good time to play them. Similarly, I think Fulham are going to be very busy in the transfer market over the next three or four weeks. So um, I anticipate both Fulham and West Ham will be stronger come September and um, yeah if there's a, a good time for there's nothing obviously for Liverpool or City to fear going to either of them but I think if there's a good time to play them uh, they might have found it yeah they'll both win done definitely okay clip that up get it ready for Monday <laughs> on, on the Athletics Twitter feed remember you can sign up to the Athletic for just a pound per month for the first six months and sample the best sports writing in the business as well as ad free versions of all our podcasts just visit theathletic.com slash football pod this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Time now to look at the battle for the top four. And George Spurs under Conte, I think, are looked at. As, as the strongest at the moment. They've had an incredible transfer window. They obviously picked Arsenal to fourth last season. What would be a good season for Tottenham Hotspur? They've got to finish in the top four. It feels to me like a, a, a squad that's being built for now, not for the future. They're not going to get much better than Antonio Conte. Um, we know that Conte isn't somebody to um, to nest. You know, I, I don't think he's going to be at Spurs for too long. So if they're going to achieve under him, it probably has to be in the next uh, in the next couple of seasons. You look at the players that they brought in this summer. I think they've had a great summer, but the likes of, you know, Bissouma, um, even though he's going to be injured for the start of the season, seemingly today, uh, is someone who who should, well, he will improve them immediately. Uh, Perisic is, is quite clearly a, a fairly um, a short-term signing. That's you know a, a fair bit of outlay for for what is going to be a short-term reward for him. And similarly with with Richardson, someone who who's going to come in, uh, offer them something different in the final third. Uh, but is going to be expected to impact the, the the squad immediately. So given the way they finished last season, given that they've got probably the best manager outside uh, Klopp and Guardiola, possibly in Europe, especially in terms of getting short-term results. And, and to add to that, the fact that, you know, the, the players they brought in in January, uh, Kulisevsky being the, the highlight, but but still being at the club as well. If Spurs finish outside the top four, uh, I think it would be a, a really, really disappointing season for them. This is your patch now, Tim. Spurs, oh. impressed with their business? I think they're nailed on for top four. To be honest, I, th- I think yeah, with, yeah, the, with, with, with the business they've done, they've they've really cemented themselves as, as the third best team in England, or um, well, the third best squad in England anyway. And and Conte just gives them a massive edge, uh, an edge over Arteta, over Ten Hag, and even over Tuchel for me. You know, I mean, this is Premier League winning manager. Um, Do and, you put Conte in the same bracket as Klopp and Pep? Yeah, probably. I think. Yeah. Um, he, he just he knows how to win. Trophies, he knows how to win. He's titles. a different breed to those two, isn't he? I guess in a way. Yeah, slightly. Um, but I th- I elite think, manager, though. Yeah. Elite manager. And also, I think if you look, he's he's done it with Inter. I think Inter had finished 
um, between fourth and ninth for eight seasons in a row. And Conte came in and took them to second, and then he took them to first. So he'll be looking to do that now with with Spurs. The fact that the, the fact that they've signed Richarlison and he's not a guaranteed starter is is a game changer for me in terms of how we view Spurs. You know, George mentions Perisic and Bissouma as well. Christian Romero being touted to have a very big season. I think they can finally legitimately fight for a trophy this year and probably maybe go deep in the Champions League and looking at top four as well. You know, that's how highly I'd. I'd rate the squad and the manager. Yeah, perhaps from the outside looking in at the moment, Chelsea, who we've already covered, were, you know, we saw them as, as challengers last season. They weren't at all. But now a lot of people, George, are talking about them not even making the top four this season. I guess it'd be easier to judge them at the end of the transfer window. But I think just by virtue of the way they're set up at the moment, Todd Bowley in quite the unique position of he's in charge of transfers and he's dealing with transfers at the moment. It's quite hard to gauge Chelsea, I think. Yeah, it really is. I think people overestimated them last season off the back of of, of winning the Champions League. Uh, and I think people might be slightly underestimating them coming into this campaign. You know, it wasn't long ago they, um, in my view, uh, outplayed Real Madrid over two legs in the Champions League and were, and were very unlucky not to progress in, in, in Here that, he is again on the in, attack in against Ancelotti. It's not taken men- long. I didn't mention his name. Uh, I, know, but no, but I know what you were doing. I, I think people, you know, you look at um, the Lukaku signing last season that was an unmitigated disaster, but... Realistically, the loss of Lukaku isn't going to impact them because he didn't add anything to the on the pitch last season anyway. Sterling is a a wonderful signing. You know, Sterling is somebody who there's no reason why he won't have his best years of his career at Chelsea. Um, he's still age 27. He's almost had to play second fiddle for for City throughout his whole time there. And I feel like coming into a club now where he 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 looks to me to be the main goal threat this season. Uh, he will play as many minutes as he wants to play. Should be a, a very good signing. That there, there does seem to be some concerns. In terms of their preparation in this campaign, I still very much believe that um, a bad preseason means nothing when it gets to the actual campaign. I heard I was on on the radio on Saturday with um, I think it was Neil Taylor who said um, that actually, in, in his view, a, a bad preseason is the best thing that can happen because it gives the manager something to work on. It's where you, it's when you're blowing teams away in preseason, you walk into the campaign thinking you're you're, you're bulletproof, and then you come up against sides who are at it, and you realise that actually you haven't been able to work on any of your issues, any of your issues at all. Thomas Tuchel's proven himself to be at the very worst, a very capable manager, and I think he at his best can set up Chelsea to be. Uh, such a solid defensive team as well. Um, they've lost defenders. I, I don't think Christensen's a massive loss. I think Kudabai is a, a great signing. So I, I don't necessarily expect them to, to challenge the top two, but I do think that the idea that Chelsea are in disarray, um, despite bizarre ongoings off the field uh, last season, are a bit premature. They've still got the core of, of a very good squad. They've added a couple of great players and they've got a manager who we know is, is proven at the top level in, in European football. Do you think they need a striker team? Yeah, they do. You know, George is absolutely right about the defence, but goals would be a slight concern for me for Chelsea. And they just, Chelsea have two good seasons, then one when they implode. <laughs> so I guess that's why probably a lot of people are saying it. And I, I think I think it, 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 is, it is a bit strange that everybody's sort of tipping them to have a bad year. Um, there's so much quality in that squad. The thing with, I think the thing with Sterling is, and you can maybe say this for Jesus and Sinchenko as well. You know, they're players that Guardiola's happy to let go. So are they players that would then bridge the help bridge the gap for teams below towards City? You know, in, in Guardiola's mind, certainly not. But you would expect if Sterling's the main man at Chelsea, then he he, he will flourish. 
Um, but it's 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 a new era. If Tuchel doesn't start the season well, how does Bowley approach it? You know, we know how Bramovich would approach it. Um, we you know does, does Tuchel get a long a long amount of time to repair any damage that's done? Um, there's a lot of unknown factors at Chelsea, and I guess that's why a lot of people are saying that they might struggle this year. But you know, so much quality in that squad, they should definitely be aiming for fourth place minimum. And George, you've said pre-season means absolutely nothing, but Manchester United, what they have done in pre-season under Ten Hag is, it looks like they actually have some kind of system in place now and a way of playing, which is something that's been devoid of Manchester United for, for so long now. Personally, I don't think top four is on the agenda for Manchester United at all this season. But I think as a, if I was a Manchester United fan, I'd want to see some signs of just progress and having those patterns of play and just, just going out and having a plan. And I think at the very least, so far in pre-season, Manchester United look like they have those things. Yeah, I agree. I think that is the key here. I think it could be very harsh on Eric Tenog to expect him to come into what has effectively been a bit of a burning mess for the last 10 years uh, and expect him to come in and immediately reroute them uh, as other teams progress alongside. Um, the squad itself hasn't had too much surgery. Uh, there's still a lot of deadwood there who I'm sure won't be there in a couple of years' time. The Eriksen signing is is smart. You know, he's, he's still a player who has so much quality. Um, but having said that, the idea of, of Eriksen and Bruno Fernandes in the same team, especially if it's Ronaldo playing up front, uh, doesn't fill me with, with too much positivity in terms of what they can do off the ball. And the Ronaldo situation is a massive negative as well, where I'm not entirely sure he is the right person to play up front for them anyway, uh, even though he, his goal tally will always be good. But given that he is quite clearly not happy at the club, and when you look beneath Ronaldo, their striking options are seemingly still Anthony Martial and, and Marcus Rashford. It becomes quite difficult to, to make a case for them to be anywhere near the likes of Spurs and Chelsea, in my view. So I, I think the best possible scenario for, for Manchester United fans is that come May, there is, as you say, a discernible style of play, a, a clear idea and blueprint from the football club as to how they're going to progress over the next couple of seasons and, and a fan base that are fully behind Ten Hag to be the person to lead that. They've obviously been chasing De Jong all summer, who would be a pivotal part of what Ten Hag is trying to do. Without that kind of player, the system may fall down a little bit. But again, I'd be quite encouraged as a Manchester United fan that they seem to be all in on De Jong. And if they don't get him, it looks like they may not panic and just get shoehorn someone in, get someone in for the sake of it. I'm not really encouraged by anything that Man United do, do, <laughs> do to be honest. I think I think the, the question for Man United is, have they hit rock bottom yet? I think, they was it their lowest Premier League points tally last season? 58, yeah. I think. Goal difference of zero, which is astonishing for the players they've got, the money they've spent. It's absolutely scandalous. And for, for us to be kind of saying... You know, if Man United play some coherent football and, and have a plan for what to do with their club is is progress. It's it just shows you how far they've fallen. And I think the fan base, yeah, would would settle for that for for players who want to play for the shirt. Martial up front, I think he scored one for Man United and one for Sevilla last season. You know, Rashford just I haven't seen any of him in pre-season but going on what him and Martial have done for the last two years then yeah what, where are the goals going to come from so you know you've got Ronaldo being subbed at half time and going home last week you've got Dean Henderson's comments in the week I thought yeah <laughs> um, cutting so this is so, this is about so much more than a head coach and you know I, I like the look of Ten Hag and I think I think he'll, he'll improve the team but the there's so much more to do with the whole club than that. So there's lots that need sorting before we can start talking about Man United being a top four challenger for me. Nightmare first about, game for them as well. I was going to say, you say about rock bottom, obviously that 4-0 defeat to Brighton last season towards the back end was probably somewhere near rock bottom. They've got Brighton on the first day of the Sunday, two o'clock kickoff at home this time. So that might be a decent barometer if there's an improvement, George. Yeah, it will be if they get beat three 0 I guess you can say that's improvement. But, um, but that's it, it's more—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a nightmare first game in my view. You've got a, a team in Brighton who you know 
they're going to be one of the best coached teams, well-drilled teams playing a style of football that, that you know is so easy on the eye, I think, for, for United fans um, watching on. If things don't go to plan, they'll be wondering, you know, especially because of the perceived minnow status of Brighton compared to Manchester United, what's going wrong? And I expect Brighton to give them a massive game. I think Brighton are a 5-1 to one to win the game, which seems like a, a massive price about a team who you know um, are proven quality at this level. It won't help that... Um, that Welbs will be up front for, for Brighton if things don't go to plan for, for United fans. But I think it's it's a really tough ask first up for United to turn up and, and beat them. But similarly, and there's another, I think Arsenal's first game is a, is a similar test where if things do go to plan and go right, then to, to go and, and beat a team who beat you 4-0 uh, just a couple of months ago on opening day and do it, res- and do it resoundingly um, is, is a good way to kick off the season. So high risk and, and high reward. Yeah, Arsenal kick off the Premier League season team trying to banish those ghosts of Selhurst Park from last season. I'm impressed with Arsenal. I think this time last year, don't fall almost, for pre-season, Dan. Come no, on. no, no, no. I'm not. I, I didn't. I didn't get what Arsenal were trying to do. I was on podcasts and I was slating them. Then, as the season went on, I started to get a bit more of an understanding, Tim, of what what they were trying to do and could see where they were coming from. And their business this summer, I think they've made some fantastic signings. Yeah, they have to, to, to add to what they've got. And I, I really enjoyed watching them last season. You know that 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 forward line, the interchanging and the, and the fluidity. And the goals that they can produce, I think Saka's going to have a really big season. Um, Odegaard being given the captaincy is a really interesting move. And again, he's one that you'd be looking for them to kick on. Saliba coming in at the back. Zinchenko and Tierney, different options at left back. Martinelli you'd expect to kick on. That's the that's the thing with with Arsenal is is their ceiling of potential is 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 higher than a couple of the clubs around them. They were very inconsistent last year. They obviously started the season disastrously, ended the season poorly, but at parts in the middle that that they, they, they were blistering really. And I was at the Emirates when they beat Wolves two um, one with a last minute winner, and it was with that. And the Emirates rightly gets a bit of stick for being a bit quiet and being like a bit of a theatre, but it was one of the noisiest football stages I've ever heard actually you can really sense the momentum and the togetherness and the fact that they've stuck with Arteta should breed consistency I think for them this season and, and, and I predict a, a similar season you know being on the sort of cusp of the top four which 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 um, which will be successful for them that's the big six covered George is the big six about to become a big seven how far away are teams like Newcastle well Newcastle I think are the ones aren't they I mean coming into this season uh, there are some very concerning noises around Leicester where the recruitment or, or kind of lack of it and the players um, who might be on the way out, the, the James Madison to Newcastle um, story has all the ingredients of a saga that will go on till, till the end of the window. And um, you know Tim will know better than me, but it feels like these bids don't really happen unless there is some kind of encouragement from from the player, um, especially between two clubs of similar stature. So I'm pretty happy to draw a line through Leicester as it stands, especially because, you know, Brendan Rodgers, the, the arc of a, a Brendan Rodgers' managerial tenure seems to tail off quite quickly. And I think we started to see that last season. And, and if, and if uh, Fafana leaves as well, it could be really difficult for them. I mean, West Ham do incredibly well to, to keep up the pace and they, I'm sure they'll be there there or thereabouts again. But, you know, Newcastle, I think we can be pretty convinced they'll continue to recruit through the window. I think we can be pretty convinced they'll recruit in January as well. And um, it's it's hard for them now to go out and, and, and sign a whole team of Bruno Guimaraes or, or, you know, of Botman's as well because of their stature. But as they improve, that will become easier and they have the, the, the financial uh, power to do so. So I, I think they are the closest. Um, but I, as it stands at the moment, I wouldn't necessarily expect them to break in this season. Although I have doubts both about Manchester United and about Arsenal uh, as well. Um, I think Arsenal not, not being able to, to break into the top four without any European football was a a huge blow for them and uh, back in the Europa League this season I, I think they might 
struggle despite the good signings um i have a feeling that they might uh struggle to, to repeat that trick again this episode is supported by fx's welcome to Wrexham. celebrity owners rob McElhenney and ryan reynolds's small town welsh football club has finally been promoted into league two after 15 seasons in the national league dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's look now at the relegation picture. George, you're an EFL expert. Feels a little bit same if a Bournemouth and Fulham in that, that they feel a bit verbatim to me at the moment to go down. Forest, I think I've got higher hopes for. What shape do those three sides find themselves in going into the 22-23 season? Yeah, it's interesting that the parallels between Fulham and, and um, Bournemouth are being drawn uh, by a fair few people. That, um, we've seen both Scott Parker and Marco Silva come out in the press in the last week or so and basically complain about where the, where the side is, saying that they're, they're miles off it. In the case of, of Bournemouth, you can see it. Um, I wasn't a massive fan of, of Bournemouth uh, in the championship last season. The recruitment in January seemed to get them over the line, but I'm not convinced they have a squad good enough to to be battling out for, for, for survival. Very few teams coming up from the championship are able to, to not really strengthen and do so. And you look at the, the business they've done. They brought in Joe Rothwell, who's a, a good championship midfielder, but he's at age 27, never played in the Premier League before. You have Ryan Fredericks, who is injured at the moment and, and again has never really proven himself at, at the level either. And, and Marcus Tavernier, who is a player I like at Borough, but again, going out and signing a lot of championship players when you've just been promoted out of the league doesn't strike me as, as the way to go about it. And I think Parker's concern is well-founded. I think as it stands at the moment, they have the weakest squad, a manager who's who's overseen one relegation in one season from the Premier League already. So I'd be very concerned about them. With Fulham, not so much. Uh, I think Marco Silva gets a lot of disrespect and I, I'm a big fan of him as a manager. I think he did a, a fantastic job in, in the Hull relegation season, even though people will tell you that he got them relegated. He came in halfway through the season and improved them massively. Uh, at Watford, he did a decent job until his head was turned. And then you look at the job he did at Everton, where since he's left that club, uh, it's only gone one way since then. And suddenly being sat when you're, I think he was eighth when he was sacked in the Premier League, doesn't look quite as as bad as, as it does today. Uh, and he was magnificent last season at Fulham. 
just realised that the way to to build a team at Fulham is to get the ball onto Alexander Mitrovic's head as much as possible, or let them double up on Mitro and give the ball to Harry Wilson to to, to cut inside and shoot, and and that that uh, led to a lot of goals and a lot of points and, and winning the league really comfortably. They've made a, a a couple of fairly big money signings from from Europe that I'm not going to pretend I've I've seen much of, but. I think having Mitrovic, who is definitely good enough in the right system to score goals, in my point of view, in the top flight, um, being managed by Silva, in my opinion, should make them competitive. And, and I think fall um, into that Mitrovic trap again, George. No, 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 no. <laughs> don't, don't, so be the third time. You're, you're falling into the trap. You are falling into the trap of, of not seeing that this is a different side. And um, unlike Scott Parker, who cast Mitro aside after about six games when he hadn't scored yet uh, I've got no doubt that Silva will be continuing to keep the faith with him even if things don't start too well and with Forrest I mean it feels quite Fulham two seasons ago doesn't it where they've gone out and they have spent and, and all credit to them they have realised that they have to support Steve Cooper in giving him a, a team and a squad who are good enough to, to survive you know the loss of, of Jed Spence will be will be huge he was on loan last season from Borough who's now gone to Spurs but I think going out and get, getting Neko Williams is a, a really smart bit of business and somebody who you know, at the age he is at now uh, 80 million pounds for a guy who, who's got his skill set at right wing back or, or right back is is a bit of a snip to be honest given where he could where he could go and and Cooper is a, a brilliant manager as well for Forrest as a club you know they're outside the top flight for for far far too long for their fans and, and they seem pretty intent on not leaving any stone unturned to try and survive and they were you know they, they started the season last season under Chris Hewton incredibly poorly but as soon as Steve Cooper came in they were the second best team in the championship if not the first alongside Fulham so definitely reasons to be positive but I think if there's a trap to be had in this relegation chat it is just assuming that Forrest going out and spending tens of millions of pounds on new players is is the absolute certainty to stay up it has to work and we've seen plenty of times that strategy um, falling short. So pretty negative about Bournemouth, fairly positive about both Fulham and, and, and Forrest, but I think people are maybe expecting a bit too much of Forrest and, and, and under, yeah, just underrating Fulham a little bit on based on what they did last season. Mm, I think Forrest might do a Brentford and be relatively comfortable come the end of the season, but we shall see. Now, it's like the producer's reading my mind a little bit with this next bit. He's listed Leeds, Everton, Southampton and Wolves, Tim, as Wolves. those who look like they, they might struggle this <laughs> season. Did you dismiss Wolves out of hand? Because I, I think there's a few worries there. That's not my Villa bias. Uh, and this isn't my Wolves bias, but I've predicted Wolves to finish seventh this year. So Seventh? Wow. <laughs> I, thought my, I thought my Villa eighth was uh, was kind. They were top six for most, most of the last season. People forget. Um, they, they did fall away absolutely disgustingly um, with relegation for for the last couple of months of the season but I, I'm excited about this I know other people might not be but Wolves have changed formation this summer they've played 3-4-3 for, for six years and they've finally gone four at the back having only scored a goal a game for the last two seasons Dan which I've watched every single one of those games it's not been fun <laughs> let me tell you but um, yeah they've gone four at the back now um, big, big Villa a fair few times though <laughs> yeah um, so they're finally unleashing um, Neto Pedence Jimenez possibly Gibbs White as well who's looked good in pre-season yeah. so They've got some, and, and you know, Neves pulling the strings still there. Fully expected him to leave, um, but he but he hasn't. And then the, the sign of Nathan Collins from Burnley, you know, should 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 help with that transformation to four at the back, certainly. So Bruno Large probably an underrated and still very unknown manager, but I I, I do fancy Wolves to have a decent season. Is, is Neto the player he was before the injury? He, he certainly wasn't last couple of months of last season, but he's. He looked, again, pre-season's not the barometer, but the fact he looks fully fit and he's and he's scoring goals and looks confident would certainly suggest so. And yeah, people might have forgotten really, but that that pandemic season, he was he was by far and away Wolves' outstanding player and 
people I know who've worked very closely with him and Diogo Jota rate Neto as, as, as the better player or certainly the one with, with, with the higher potential and I, I'd agree with that from what I've seen so if Jimenez can get back to some kind of level that he was at before then then Wolves could surprise a few this season I think th- this time last year on our, on our preview show on this podcast I said that I thought Rafinha would be the you know if he stayed fit and played a lot would be the breakout star and, and would get a big move I, I think if Neto stays fit and is that player previously I think he'll be the one next summer where I can see all the elite clubs in Europe wanting him He's, that that pace coupled, coupled with that ball carrying ability and the quality in the final third is is pretty rare. But I just worry about your goals, especially with, with Raul Jimenez, obviously injured to start the season as well, and top score with six last season. Handbrakes off, George, though. Handbrakes off. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Everton are the one I'm most worried for in that Me list. Too. I, I think they're in big trouble. And, you know, that's, I, that, cause by nature of you, of losing Richarlison, I'm not knocking Dwight McNeil. That isn't a that isn't a lot of a lot of replacement. Allison scored a Premier League goal more recently than Dwight McNeil. <laughs> probably tells you everything it needs to know. And Richarlison and scored the goals that kept Everton up. So I've got Everton to go down currently, but I think there's a team missing from that, that list of potential candidates. Well, on, on, Ever- on Everton, quickly, because also they, yeah, yeah. They, they've got two strikers, effectively. One of them's Dominic Calvert-Lewin, one of them's Salomon Rondon. And news yesterday that the Calvert-Lewin both, is... They're both out the first game, aren't they? Exactly. So, you know, it's you're, you're asking... It. I'm not Frank Lampard's biggest fan as a manager and I think you're asking a hell of a lot of him to get the season off to any kind of start that's going to preserve his job and they're they're currently pressed up as 7-2 or two for, for relegation. Um, I think if they were based on the evidence of the last two years at Everton and the players they've got, the, the squad they've got and everything else, I think if their name was... If it was Burnley, just rename the club, there'd be a shorter price. Uh, I think they're, they're still perceived as being a big club, which of course they are. But that doesn't that doesn't matter when it comes to relegation. Uh, they are not too good or too big to go down. Yeah, and what I'm about to say probably moves us quite quite nicely onto the the sack race, the managerial section, Tim. I think Leicester are missing from that list. I feel like they're in they're in absolute disarray at the moment. They could potentially have the core of their side ripped out. They've lost a massive leader in Casper Schmeichel. Brendan Rodgers was very very vocal in that he wanted incomings this summer. He's got none. I spent more on my Tesco's meal deal than than Brendan Rodgers are spending <laughs> this transfer window yesterday. So, you know, there's big problems at Leicester and I, I've seen it with Villa. If you get the core of your side ripped out, there's tensions behind the scene, you can easily find yourself in a relegation battle. And I would think at the moment, I, I've got Rodgers down as the, as the favourite to be the first man, manager to, to leave. I feel like he might walk, Tim. Mm. I th- yeah, yeah, I feel like you've outlined it really well there. And, you know, one of the shining lights going into the season for Leicester would be someone like Fafana who you'd think would would be guaranteed you know, for this to be his massive breakout Premier League season because he missed so much of last year through injury. And now we're hearing that you know potentially he might want to leave as well. Um, and if Madison goes... What, Tillemans what has only got a year left as well. Exactly. Well, they've got an awful lot of players out of contract next summer, including Johnny Evans, Jamie Vardy. Obviously, Schmeichel was one as well. Tielemans, like you say. Asking a lot of Harvey Barnes. Pats and Dacca might have a, might have a better season, but th- there are problems everywhere for Leicester. I mean, f- for them to go into this season having made no signings, not just after Rodgers said, I think in May, that he was sort of wanted five or six, but after what he said in February when they got thrashed by Forrest in the FA Cup and he basically questioned the desire of, of, of his squad and said, you know, these th- these are not top players. You know, I, 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 I need more. You know, these aren't these players aren't good enough for me. For them not to sign anyone is, is is astonishing. So they are in big trouble, and I completely agree um, that Rogers could be on the endangered species list, but but potentially he could walk. Yeah, would you go along with that, George? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's fifteen two for, for be the first manager to leave, and, and I think it's with the absence of a, of a Watford manager in there, um, I think that's a fair price. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, I would say on the on the keeper, 
side of things. Um, Daniel Leverson, who's spent the last couple of seasons on loan at, at Preston at Rotherham before that, he, he's very good. Um, yeah, Ward's, you know, Ward's he, been injured, hasn't he? So I think Everson might start the season. Even if they were both fit to start the season, I've got no doubt that Everson would be would be number one pretty soon. You know, he's he's a proper shot stopper, like very very good. Um, he was, I think, he won all the awards at, at Preston last season as well. Um, he's someone who there seems to be some consternation amongst neutrals as to why Leicester have let Kasper Schmeichel go without bringing in a replacement. I, I, the replacement is already there, uh, as far as I can see. But in, Leicester were very poor, and I mentioned it before. You know, Brendan Rodgers has we've seen this before with his the way that he, he comes into a club improves him gradually and then has a, a kind of rapid rise and then things turn off very quickly and normally by this stage of the arc he's left so I don't know what happens next <laughs> you know does it keep going down or, or or is there something of a do they turn that around it it strikes me that given the players that he wanted and the prospect of such key players leaving you know if if, if Tielemans, Fafana and Madison all walk out the door in the next three weeks the amount of work that is needed the amount of surgery that's needed um is huge and they're 16 to 1 for relegation which uh is definitely worth a, a just a, a bit of a flyer in case things really uh, the wheels do fall off because if those players want to leave they'll leave there's there's no no question about it just on the sack race there's one that i want to put up at a at a big price god Mikel arteta's 33 to 1 i think for arsenal going to palace on the friday night on opening day Patrick Vieira's Palace is a nightmare because if that goes wrong again, as it did last season, where we saw um, we saw Vieira's Palace give them the runaround and beat them three 0 If that happens again, because you you know that Arsenal fans want Vieira to be their manager at some point, and especially over the, you know what we saw last season, I think Patrick Vieira is one of the most exciting young managers we've seen in the Premier League for a long time in terms of the style of football that he plays, his willingness to give youngsters a chance as well, the recruitment under him whether it's got anything to do with him or not has been magnificent. I know Dougie Friedman's the uh, in, in charge of recruitment, but you know, it's it's been a development of Crystal Palace Football Club under Vieira's t- tenure has been it's been superb. So if things don't start well on Friday night, we saw last season how poor Arsenal were on opening day against Brentford as well. I'm, I'm by no means I'm not standing here sitting here thinking that they are going to lose. My only idea is that if things do get off to a rocky start, especially with Arteta having been Arsenal manager for so long now without really much to show for it as well uh, I just wonder if that 33s could tumble quite quickly I'm just going to throw uh, Eddie Howe into that mix as well um, oh yeah it's, it's, it's not going to be an upward trajectory to the top it doesn't happen like that there will be growing pains he's in unknown territory as a manager he's never been in this position before I'm not massively impressed with their recruitment Dan you'll, you'll advise better than me but you know Matt Target Solid. Well, that's the thing. You might sort of solidify a bit of a mid-table but position. But don't you think but... they're doing... Newcastle have took me by surprise with the way they've done business. Cause I thought it might be a bit scattergun, but actually it's, it's quite measured and it does feel like they're doing things quite gradually and they're not prepared to overpan it. In a way, I quite respect what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, p- potentially. We'll see what they do in the next few weeks. They, they might go crazy, might they, as the window draws to a close. But yeah, I'd, 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 I'd put him as an outside bet. I mean, obviously it'll be Ralph Harson who... 20, but, 20 to um, 1. Mm. 20 to 1, yeah. There you go. 20 to 1 and a 33 to 1 shot in the sack race. I disagree with you both, actually, on the manager front. I think Arteta will say out the season with Arsenal. I think they've gone too heavy with him. And I think Eddie Howe's probably... I don't see Newcastle finishing any lower than 10th. And I think as long as he does that, I think he'll be okay. But we'll, we'll see. We've got Rogers, you know, you've, you've obviously taken the short price fab, so no surprise there. But we've got, we got Rogers, um, Arteta, and. Uh, he was 7, seven to 1 when I last looked, Rogers. Yeah, he is, yeah. Is, yeah. Is, oh, is that what that? Yeah, that's well, they've still got. So, yeah, Lamp, Lampard's the favourite, which I think is. Probably fair. Well, I think even though I, I'm not a, a huge Lampard, I mean, as I've already said, I'm not a big fan of his, there does seem to be a unity between Everton fans and Lampard at the moment, um, off the back of the, the survival last season that I think would buy him some time. 
Whereas given the, the disappointment of, of Leicester last season, Rogers doesn't have that. I think Jesse Marsh doesn't have that either um, after Leeds' pretty uh, catastrophic stumble towards safety at the back end of last season. I, I don't think many Leeds fans credit Marsh with being the reason behind that. And he's another one where I think if things got off to a bad start, especially because of the amount of money um, that they've spent uh, with the Calvin Phillips money effectively this summer there's nowhere for him to hide if, if things go wrong and, and lead to another club who are going to be absolutely desperate as we saw with them parting company with, with, with Bielsa you know the godfather of, of Leeds United um, there's very little chance of them uh, hanging around to see if, if Marsh is, is going to turn it around Just quickly before we go then let's look at the TV games this weekend so it's a Friday 8 o'clock kickoff for Crystal Palace against Arsenal on Saturday Liverpool challenge challenge on Saturday Liverpool travel to Fulham at the lunchtime kickoff 12.30 Saturday tea time sees Everton v Chelsea and then Sunday at 2 o'clock we've got Manchester United v Brighton and at 4.30 we have West Ham against Man City all that's left to do is for me to thank the guys for joining me today so thanks ever so much Tim and thank you George for chatting to me as ever it's been an enjoyable show thank you mate loved it cheers Dan so that's all for the first preview show of the season we'll be here every Friday throughout the season and don't forget that Mark Chapman will be back on this feed on Monday hosting the Athletic Football Podcast four times a week giving you the best insight into the biggest stories across the game The Athletic.